So we are in week two of Get In The Game. And last weekend we learned from Peter's experience of walking on the water that when it comes to faith, it's not how we start, but how we finish. If you missed last week, you can go out on our podcast and you can listen to last week there. We discovered that it isn't, that initial faith isn't enough. We need staying faith. Staying faith means focusing on the next step, constantly looking to Christ and confidently trusting in his character, trusting in his promises. Getting to the end of your life and feeling like you walked on water is the result of a lifetime full of small, faithful steps. Taking one step where God leads you to the next step to the next step. Small steps every day in life. And this weekend I want to build on last week's sermon by continuing in the teachings of Jesus in Mark chapter 4, and we'll get there in just a moment. And the par- this is the parable of the sower, where we find an essential truth in this parable. And that is staying faith requires driving deep, driving the gospel... <laughs> Let me say it again. Staying faith requires driving the gospel deep. A little tongue-tied there. Driving the gospel deep. Going deep into the gospel with our lives. Let me give you a little background before we get here today. Jesus, from time to time, he would stop. He had crowds that were following him around listening to him teach because the words that he was teaching was unlike anything anyone had ever heard. And the people were just amazed listening to him. And he would teach, and the people would just be marveled. And they would follow him from town to town, out to the side of the Sea of Galilee, wanting to hear what this man would say next. And so we come to Mark chapter 4, and this is one of those times where there are lots of crowds gathered around Jesus. And he shares this We call it a parable. It is a story that has a a spiritual meaning inside of it. So let's start reading this parable in Mark chapter 4, verse 1. And again, he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teachings, he said to them, listen, a sower went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, And the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said to them, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's stop there for just a second. You'll notice what Jesus does when he has these large crowds and he's teaching along the shores of the Sea of Galilee he would get on a boat out in the sea, 
and put all of the crowd along the seashore because Jesus knew, well, you know, we now know today, but Jesus knew that the sound of his voice would be magnified with the water. The sound of his voice would bounce off of the water up into the hills so all of the crowd could hear him speak. And he gives this parable. And his disciples, his followers, were kind of puzzled. They, they, they didn't quite understand the meaning of what Jesus meant with this parable. And so we're going to jump forward to verse 14 here where Jesus explains this parable to his disciples who wanted to understand the, the meaning here. So he says, The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They're the ones who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of the riches and desires for other things enter and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, thirtyfold and sixtyfold and one hundredfold. And so, Jesus gives a little bit deeper explanation of what he meant in his parable. And we're going to kind of break that down even more for you this morning of how this applies to your life of getting in the game. As we saw in the scripture, immediately after sharing the parable with the masses, he has his close inner circle, the disciples, who come asking for this explanation. So Jesus graciously explains it to them, and he breaks it down really with Three different, three different players in this group. You have the sower, and primarily this represents Jesus, but in a real sense it represents each one of us who is diligently sowing the word of God into the lives of others around us. That is the sower. Then you have the seed. That is the word of God. That is the gospel. The sower, he says, sows the word. Essentially he's saying those that were the sowers are the ones telling others about the word of God. Tell them about the seed. They're spreading the seed of the word of God around to others around them. Then you have the soil. And the soil represents the condition of your heart. This is a very important one. The soil represents the condition of your heart. Now you have to remember, in that time, we get this parable today, but in an agrarian society, of most of these people who were farmers who sowed seeds, they really understood what the sowing of seed in the ground, what it really meant. Before we go any further, you know, I want to share my heart and prayer with you this morning as it relates to this message. Jesus goes to great lengths to describe the various conditions of our hearts. And my prayer, whether you're a follower of Christ or whether you are a skeptic sitting in here this morning, is that you would identify which condition most accurately reflects the condition of your heart and consider perhaps maybe for the first time in your life 
how you can drive deeper into the gospel. So there's going to be a temptation with many of us as we read through this passage and break it apart to see ourselves as only the fertile soil this morning. And that's the one that is bearing much fruit. We are hardwired to seek to justify ourselves as always the best. And it's pretty easy to think of ourselves more highly than we ought. But I want to challenge you to resist that temptation and realize that at any given season of our heart, we can be any one of these types of soil. So, first one that Jesus describes here is the hard soil. And the hard soil, Jesus paints a picture of a heart that is hard where the word or the seed cannot go deep. And for some of us sitting here this morning, that is, that is us. That is you sitting here today. You're saying, you know what, Pastor? I'm here only because somebody dragged me here. Or I'm here just out of curiosity, and I'm completely resistant to anything to do with the Bible and with Jesus. You've been exposed to the claims of Christ and the gospel message, but for whatever reason, your heart is hard to the message of Christ. And the gospel has not taken root in your life. And there could be multiple reasons for that. Maybe it's because of suffering. Perhaps you're wrestling with God, a God who claims to be good and benevolent, but you say, how could a God who claims to be good and benevolent be suffering? You look at all of the suffering in the world and you come to the conclusion that either God isn't good because if he were, he wouldn't allow it, or he isn't powerful because if he were, he would surely stop it. And you say, how could I worship a God who allows suffering? Maybe that's one why your heart is hard. Another reason is social issues. Maybe your understanding of what the Bible has to say about hot button topic issues that we see today, such as marriage, sexual ethics, right to life, has caused you to turn a deaf ear to the gospel and to Christ. And your heart has become hard to what Christ says about his life, death, burial, and resurrection. You do not want to have anything to do with that. Maybe it's science or the supernatural. Perhaps you have a hard time believing in the supernatural and believe that everything has to have a rational scientific explanation. Let me say that each of these are good, honest, and fair questions that all need to be wrestled with. But let me encourage you not to let these objections to be a ending point, but a starting point for you as you begin to drive deeper into the gospel. Perhaps the next step for you is to commit to have an open mind and first just, re- just wrestle with the foundational truth of the resurrection. If you will start there, if you are a skeptic and you will start there wrestling with the resurrection with an open mind with this one question, was Jesus crucified, buried, and did he raise from the dead? Start there. Is that true? If he did, then it's a game changer. Begin trusting what the Bible says about suffering, social issues, and science. That is the foundational question that someone who is struggling with all of these 
these things of believing in Christ, that's the question you have to ask yourself. Is it true? Search the Bible. Search history. Search archaeology. And I believe that you will find it to be true. But I challenge you to start there. If Jesus died in my place and resurrected, proving that to be the Son of God, then I can begin to trust him about everything else he says in Scripture. If his death, burial, and resurrection isn't true, then what he said about these other things is really inconsequential. And there's no reason for us to even be here, honestly, if it's false. So we have the hard soil. This is where Jesus paints the picture of a heart that is hard, and the word cannot go deep. Then we have the rocky soil. This represents a heart that receives the word, but as soon as hardship arises, it loses faith. Let's read in verse 16 again. He says, And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while, and then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. You know, I like to think of these. I don't know if you guys have ever pulled weeds out of your, your um, flower beds in Florida. There's some weeds that are really, really hard to get out. As you're pulling them, you oh my goodness, this thing has really taken root. And then there's some of them that grow really big, really fast. You're like, oh man, this is going to be a hard one. And you just tuck on a little bit and it just comes right out. You're like, oh man, that was really easy. I think that's kind of the one that Jesus is talking about here, underneath the, the rocky soil. Jesus is describing people who started well in the faith, but as tribulation and persecution arise, they are not finishing well. I know many people in my life, even people today that I went to seminary with to train to be a pastor, who fall into this category. They started well. But a little bit of persecution, a little bit of tribulation, a little bit of trouble in life, and they fall away. Their faith was not deep. It was on rocky soil. And in John chapter 6, Jesus begins teaching his disciples after he's performed signs and miracles, healing the sick, feeding the 5,000. He tells them that he is the bread of life, which, you know, that phrase in and of itself seems benign enough. But he goes a little further, and we're going to read here what he says. It seems quite odd. He says, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is the true food, and my blood is the true drink. That sounds cannibalistic, doesn't it? It sounds very, very strange. But you have to understand what Jesus is saying here to his followers. He's referring to the flesh and the blood. He's referring to his sacrifice that he is going to make upon the cross for our sins. That's what he's telling his disciples. Put yourself in their shoes for just a moment and imagine what's going through their minds. Surely they thought, man, Jesus is out of his mind. What is he talking about? The next verse, it says, After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. 
It doesn't say many of his disciples came and asked him for an explanation of what he meant. Jesus, can you, can you tell us what you meant by this weird kind of cannibalistic teaching that you were teaching there? No, it doesn't say that. It's just like, okay, had enough, I'm out. They left. Many of his disciples were comfortable with Jesus when he was healing people. They're comfortable with Jesus when he was multiplying food and drink and performing other miracles. But when they were confronted with what, would, what it would really cost them to follow Jesus, they abandoned him. They wanted all the benefits of following Jesus without any of the cost of following him. Listen, trusting Jesus in the day-to-day life is hard. And let's be honest, the teachings of Jesus are really hard. Many of them are countercultural today. You hear them and you teach them and people are like, eh, I don't buy that. It's not easy. It's hard when you feel you've been wronged and you want to take things into your own hands and defend your name. But the teachings of Christ teach us a different way. You know, I'm, I'm dealing with a situation at work where I'm constantly faced with taking matters into my own hands and defending my name, and it's, no, that's not what Christ teaches us. It's return kindness and love to that individual. It's, it's countercultural. It's not something that is easy for us as sinful human beings to, get, to, to deal with. And again, when we let bitterness fill our hearts, the gospel hasn't gotten any deeper than our need to be respected and thought well of. If when the heat gets turned up in life, if I turn from my faith and follow my own desires, then the condition of my heart is just like the rocky soil here, and I fail to let the gospel go deep. So we have the rocky soil, we have the hard soil, the rocky soil, and then we have the thorny soil. The thorny soil is what represents a heart that receives a word but soon is distracted or deceived by what we see here as worldly things. Let's read here. And others, verse 18, and others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word. And it, meaning the seed, proves unfruitful. For many of us, if we're honest, we understand just how easily it is to become distracted with the cares of this world and even deceived by the world. We become distracted and deceived by worldly things when we buy the lie that living for Christ means giving up something better something greater make no mistake we must give something up to follow christ but it is not something greater we give up a life of wandering in the desert looking to every created thing to satisfy our our thirst only to find that we are drinking the sand we think that all of these things in life that we want is going to satisfy what our heart is longing for as we're wandering this desert, only to find out that it's not. It's no better than drinking the sand in the desert. 
In living to Christ, we gain something far greater. We gain an abundant and eternal life as a child of the very one who created us. Paul would say it this way, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Perhaps you've heard this quote by C.S. Lewis, the great writer, writer of Chronicles of Narnia. He said it this way in his essay, The Weight of Glory. He said, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the, tea, at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. <laughs> it's good the way he writes in his English vernacular. It's, it's, he's, he describes it so well. We are like kids making mud pies in the slop. We could be enjoying the wonders and the glory of Christ. Now, as Jesus describes each of these three heart conditions, we realize that the problem is always the same. The problem isn't the sower. The problem is not the quality of the seed. The problem is that the seed is not going deep enough. It's the problem is the condition of the heart. In other words, if we evaluate our lives and find ourselves identifying with the first three soils, then the problem is not the Word of God. It isn't getting so that it's not it's not getting into the deepest recesses of our souls and taking root. We've got to press the word deep. And Jesus shows us that there is a soil that receives the word and it brings forth a God-sized harvest. And that is the fruitful soil. It represents a heart that both hears and accepts the word. Verse 20. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it. You might want to underline that. And bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. The fruitful soil, they hear the word of God and they accept it, meaning they apply the word of God to their lives. In other words, we play an active role in driving the gospel deep into our hearts. The gospel doesn't do something in you without you. You must be a soil that hears it and accepts it. We are not passive participants in our faith. We have to actively push the gospel deeper every day into our life, pushing it deeper, finding areas of our life where the gospel needs to speak. Friedrich Bonhoeffer, who was a pastor in uh, Nazi Germany, if you ever want to read a great biography, go read about Friedrich Bonhoeffer. He suffered mightily, yet persevered, Amidst tremendous opposition and suffering, he wrote the following in his book, The Cost of Discipleship. He said, costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again and again. Continually, 
going deeper and deeper into the gospel. The gospel we need to save us is the same gospel we need to sustain us. The more we go back to the gospel over and over again, as Bonhoeffer would say, the more beautiful and delightful Jesus becomes to us. And that will change our motivation for everything. Let me ask you all, there's a song that whenever I say this, some of you are going to probably curse my name at that very moment because you have little children that have sung this song millions of times, and that's Baby Shark. Yeah, you guys know what I'm talking about. If you have it, you can go on YouTube afterwards and, and listen to Baby Shark. The one main Baby Shark YouTube video that I could find, from what YouTube says, it has 22 billion views. That's just the main one. There are other ancillary like takeoff videos that are in the hundreds of millions. How many of you guys know Baby Shark? Come on, help me out. Baby Shark. All right, for those of you who don't know, let's help them out. Baby Shark, do, 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 do. Baby Shark, do, 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 do. Baby Shark. And we keep going. I'll stop there to save you all the rest of that. But let me ask you, how many of you have seen videos on YouTube or Instagram or wherever were of the crying toddler who's been like having a meltdown and baby shark instantly comes on and they're like, baby shark, like it immediately changes their whole disposition. I saw one the other day of the toddler sleeping in the back seat and the baby shark came on the parents' playlist and the toddler immediately woke up and started singing. Like it immediately changed their disposition. You know, if we want staying faith, then we must go to the gospel again, again, and again, which is the source of inexpressible joy and delight. Just like the parent was using that baby shark song, that silly song that gets stuck in your head, sorry about that for you parents the rest of the day, that gets stuck in your head that immediately changes the countenance of that toddler when we drive deep into the gospel. It should change our hearts. It should change the way that we view the world. It brings us an inexpressible joy and delight. So the next question, logical question is how? How do I drive deep in the gospel? To have staying faith, we must constantly apply the means of grace which God has given us to drive deep. What are those means? We'll go through those really quickly here. Ways that God, ways God given by God to drive deep in the gospel is prayer. The great pastor Charles Spurgeon says, Prayer and praise are the oars by which a man may row his boat into the deep waters of the knowledge of Christ. By prayer. Number two, by scripture. Paul said to, to Timothy, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good Work. Continually throughout Scripture, we find the Word of God. Joshua 1 8. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, that you might be willing to observe everything that is written in it. 
For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. And then David said, one of my favorite Psalms 119.11, I will hide your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Scripture is one of the ways of the how. Prayer, Scripture, then our church community. Church community is one of the contexts for change that God gives to us. It is in the church that all of the one another's that we find in Scripture are lived out. And this is precisely why church on Sunday mornings and our small groups that we're getting ready to launch for the spring are so important as we dig into the how we go deeper into the gospel. And fourth of all is generosity. Through our generosity, we are declaring our hope is in Christ and not the things of this world. So Bethel, I ask you, which type of soil is the condition of your heart this morning? And where is God leading you? Is it a hard soil? Perhaps he's leading you to surrender your life to him and become a follower of him for the first time. Perhaps all through your life you've pushed and pushed it away and pushed it away. And the Spirit of God is working on your heart. Maybe your heart is the rocky soil confronted with hardships. And today God is leading you to trust him and his design for your life. Remind you that when hardships come, he can be trusted because he's been proven to be faithful again and again. Or maybe it's the thorny soil. Perhaps you've seen today that you've become distracted or deceived by the things of the world. And Jesus reminds you that he is so much better. He is so much better than anything in this life. Or maybe you're the fertile soil. If that is you, stop and give thanks, recognizing that he receives all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor. It's all due to him. Regardless of where we are, my prayer for us is that we will take that next step to get in the game by driving deeper into the gospel and through the means of grace that God has provided, drive the gospel deep into your souls and bear much fruit. Let's pray.